from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn. I'm the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing at the Wharton School, and I'm joined here remotely via Zoom meeting by my co-host, Professor Americus Reed, the Whitney M. Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and the Brand Identity Theorist. Hello, Americus. Hi, Barbara. I have a question for you. So, you know, in my class, well, we talk a lot about word of mouth, right, and how the power of the conversation can drive a lot of market action. And in fact, maybe the most powerful market action driver that's out there, right? And so it's really interesting when we see really iconic examples of brands that kind of started from an organic conversation and just sort of took off because people were talking about them. And so I'm just curious, like, do you have anything, do you have like a special example that we could talk about that could maybe like elucidate some of these very interesting conversational word of mouth influencer types of issues? What have you got for me? I got the brand of the moment, the brand of the pandemic, the word of mouth, King brand, Crocs, everybody's favorite shoe. And with us today, we have Michelle Poole, who's the president of Crocs, and she's here to tell us all the marketing secrets that go on at Crocs. Hello, Michelle, and welcome to our show. Hi there, and thank you for having me today. Yeah, we're really excited about this because Americans and I just love this product. Uh, and we want to know why we love it so much. <laughs> it was once known as the ugly shoe. I don't know if it still has that name or is that now not the way people refer to it. You know, we still get that. Um, I, I think it still makes some, uh, it makes for great clickbait. I think it's, uh, it's still, we're still a brand that some people like to make fun of. And mm. we're okay with that. We're okay yeah, it, with that. We like the tension. It's actually an interesting kind of tension, Michelle, because it's a, it's it's one of those great things, right? It's sort of like some things are just so fun, and just they capture the whimsy of of the imagination that even though it you know the ugly shoe is not it's not meant in the way those words sound. It's kind of no, meant in a, it's, in a it's very a compliment. it's a compliment. It's a it's a, it's a kind of uh, shout out to just the fact exactly. that it's a cool product. It's talkable. I remember when I first heard about it, someone was literally telling me, Michelle about here are some shoes that, you know, because the big challenge with little kids is they kick their shoes off constantly. And, you know, you're trying to get out the house in 30 minutes, uh, less than two hours, and your kids keep on kicking off their shoes. So I remember a parent literally telling me like, check out these Crocs because they, the little kids can actually grab them with two fingers and put them back on themselves. And it was a very, it was, it was a whole conversation I was trying to have as like a parent trying to figure out how to get out of the house in under three hours. Uh, and it turns out that there was an entire Crocs story, Michelle, that was being shared by all these different parents. So start talking I bet a little you bit Everybody about has that. their own favorite Crocs story because yeah. I have one too. And brother, I tell, I let, why don't you just tell us a little bit about the history of Crocs? And how you came in as a role of president. And meantime, everybody in the audience and here can think of their own Croc story. Because that's the funny thing about it. People have Croc stories. Michelle, what well, and, and actually, you, yeah, you did. You, you touch on something very important, which is that we are a very democratic with a small D brand. And, and that it's exactly right. Like Crocs resonates with a lot of people because um, they mean something um, to each of us, right? And we've each got a different story about Crocs, which is what makes us 
makes us so powerful, right? And 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 so ubiquitous. So yeah, let me uh, let me tell you a story about Crocs. So Crocs was created back in 2002. It was actually created by three friends who um, understood um, and knew about kind of foam resin products. And they basically created, they were all uh, fanatics about boating and they created um, a different kind of boat shoe. They were looking for a product they could wear uh, on deck that would be lightweight, that would float, uh, that was super, super comfortable. Um, And they actually came up with the very first product which was the clog that we know today. Right, the very simple, easy on, easy off silhouette with a back strap. So that is how uh, the brand was created. And um, where was this? Where did this happen? And I have this feeling that it's it got an interesting geographic background too. Yes, it's actually it, this. This happened um, actually a few miles from where I, I am now. Um, the founders were from Colorado. I'm Boulder, Colorado. So actually, a landlocked state. Um, but uh, that's where Colorado, uh, that's where Crocs was, was created and born. And it's uh, where the headquarters are still today. And um, so what, what year did you say this was? This was 2002, did you say? Yeah, this was 2002. So um, although Crocs seems to have been around for a very long time, we're actually, um, we're just still in our teens. We're about to leave our teens. Next year will be our twentieth anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're still really relatively young as a footwear brand. So going back to America's story, and my story is more about like twenty something. So it's a different age group. I'm kind of curious, like from the beginning and over time, was it historically a children's shoe, an adult shoe, or I mean, what were the influencers that picked it up first? So I think it, yeah, it started off as an adult shoe. Um, the, the three founders certainly weren't focused on solving a footwear, you know, problem or opportunity in the kids' space. But um, I too am actually someone. I have a, a son whose very first shoes um, were Crocs, and the very first pair of shoes that he could put on himself, and the very first pair of Crocs that were in our household. So um, I too have a similar experience, but. Um, yeah, there were very there were very many entry points into Crocs. Um, it was adopted by the outdoor community who loved Crocs as an apres sort of activity product. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, adopted by the the trendy kids who wanted something brand new and and that at was the time nice. something that was viewed as outlandish. Um, it was adopted by parents. It was a, certainly adopted by the healthcare industry and the food mm-hmm. and beverage um, community oh, sure. uh, who spend um, many, many uh, long hours and long days on their feet. Mm-hmm. So there were many entry points into Crocs. You know, and then America's story had something to do with the holes in the shoe. And I remember thinking also, I've seen little kids stick little jewels in those holes. I mean, I think some of the holes are kind of, I don't know how much of that was proactive marketing or as America started in the beginning, word of mouth and you just followed the trends. Like, so I know there was a time where people were decorating their Crocs with little jewels. Yes. And who started so, that organic or reactive? So yeah, I'm glad you asked me that question. This is actually a big part of the secret source of Crocs. So the little things that go in the holes are called gibbets. Mm-hmm. Um, and gibbets <laughs> were not an original part of the founder's vision. The way that gibbets came about, um, and they now represent a pretty imp- sizable part of our overall business, the way they came about was that a, um, 
uh, a couple in actually again in Boulder, Colorado, um, uh, were actually creating these for kids to put in their shoes. And Crocs ended up actually buying the company from them and, oh. and integrating gibbets into the overall product range and the overall brand. So gibbets today um, have really turned into a, a unique selling proposition for Crocs and a little mm. bit of our secret sauce because we are the only footwear brand that consumers can customize on the spot wow. and it enables them to really express who they are, the, their, uh, their passions, um, their affiliations, mm -hmm. right? They can put their name, they can put, um, they can put their favorite emojis, they can put flags, they can put pets, you know, there's no end to um, the ways we can bring kind of consumers' passions to life through charms. And uh, it's, it's uh, becoming an increasingly important way of engaging consumers and bringing them back to our brand over and over again. I'm Barbara Kahn, and I'm here with my co-host, America's Reed, and this is Marketing Matters. And today we're talking about what everybody's talking about, Crocs, with the president of Crocs, Michelle Poole. And she was just talking about the little uh, jewels that you put in Crocs that allow people to customize the shoes. So the shoes become very individualistic, express your identity, mm -hmm. um, very personalized. Mm -hmm. And the other interesting thing about Crocs is it doesn't seem to have an age. It's for kids, it's for adults, it's mm -hmm. for outdoor people, it's for indoor people. And it really took off during the pandemic when people were just craving those kind of comfort shoes. Mm -hmm. Now, given, I mean, a lot of brands were winners and losers during the pandemics. Like a lot of the nostalgic yeah. brands, for example, in the grocery ended up being winners. You know, people were staying home, eating Campbell's soup and, and Oreo cookies. And I would call Crocs an example of a winner in the pandemic. It was popular before the pandemic, certainly, but, but I think it grew in popularity, if I'm not wrong, during the pandemic. And I was wondering if you did any proactive marketing campaigns to take advantage of that um, opportunity. Yeah, Barbara, it was, it, the pandemic's been a very interesting time for Crocs. Um, as you say, um, not everyone um, thrived through the pandemic. It created a lot of challenges out there, but um, Crocs did indeed, um, you know, perform really well through the pandemic. And I think there were a couple of reasons. I think um, first, we had been working on a brand turnaround for several years um, before 2020. So we, we actually had momentum, brand momentum going into the pandemic. And then I would say, secondly, um, we chose to take a pretty uh, offensive stance during the pandemic. And we were able to do a couple of things. We firstly were able to really communicate the relevant values of our product during the pandemic. So the fact that our product can be wiped clean, the mm -hmm. fact that you can take your product on and off without touching, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. Easy to clean, right? Um, that was a really big advantage. And, and then the second thing we did is we started to hear from um, consumers that the healthcare industry were really finding a use for Crocs. People were mm. reaching out and saying, is there any way you could donate some Crocs to our mm. hospital, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So mm. we kicked into gear um, and within 45 days of the, um, of the pandemic hitting, we set up a free pair for healthcare program, which was essentially uh -huh. an opportunity for us to get um, free Crocs into the hands of Excellent. the frontline workers who most needed uh, it. The heroes of the moment. <laughs> yeah, and we were actually able to donate almost 900,000 pairs. So wow. we started it sort of day one 
just to, we just started it, kicked it off and said, what would happen if, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great way, right? In marketing, you think about what might happen if we did this. And um, the consumers responded. We had uh, huge lines online for our, we had a lot of people in the waiting room get waiting to subscribe um, for a free pair. So we kept going. And um, over, over a month and a half, we were able to donate all of those pairs so that was um, that was the way we were able to take advantage. Um, Maybe we can get you uh, to do the vaccine because it seems like you can efficiently get this stuff out there. <laughs> it, felt, it felt good to be able to make a difference. I think there was a time when I think all of us felt um, pretty helpless, right back in yeah, back that- in those um, those months, middle of middle of last year. So it certainly um, it certainly felt good. I think for all our employees mm. to feel like they had done uh, something something in a small way to make a difference. You know, it's interesting that you say that because Americans and I talk about this all the time, the, the, the need of brands to have good values and do something that's authentic. And certainly, you know, if, if people are loving your brands during the pandemic and you can do something to really right. reward and help people, yeah. it's so yeah. consistent with your brand identity, your brand DNA. Totally. And it is really high quality values. I, I think Americans, don't you agree that that's like... I, plus 100% and I think what's beautiful about this Michelle and you know kudos for doing this is what Barbara said which is this authenticity piece I mean I I think every brand was jumping in with all kinds of sort of vanilla you know messages of we're here for you blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. but this is an example of something like we're going to do something for these heroes that Barbara's Mm -hmm. talking about and it's super super powerful so I think this is where you know there, there should be credit given to a company who's really stepping up and actually doing something as opposed to just talking about it. Thank you very much. Yeah. And, and remember too, I think it's, it's not just about engaging your consumers. It's about engaging your employee base too, mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. you know, employees care who they work for. Yes. Um, it's really important. So I think doing the right thing um, can be can be really powerful all around. That's a really important point. You know, we're always talking about our Wharton alums, Warby Parker. They give away one pair of eyeglasses for every pair you buy. And I've heard the founders say many times they're not sure that sells any more glasses, but it really means something to the people at Warby that mm-hmm. they're working with a company who does something like that. So it is actually more of a, a statement of values and of an organizational culture, um, which sounds like you're saying the same thing, that necessarily something you think will help in marketing, even though this marketing matters, but um, uh, it is an interesting piece on that. Uh, but, you know, t- talking more about marketing, I-, I want to talk a little bit about some of your advertising campaigns and your celebrity things that you've done. One of the campaigns that I actually use in my class, I talk a lot about shape. And one of the famous ads, uh, young people don't even know these ads anymore, but maybe you guys remember them, the Absolute Bob ad was a a campaign, a print campaign that was built on the shape of the bottle for 10 years. And I saw a Crocs campaign that was was, um, promoting the shape of the shoe. It reminded me of the Absolute um, ad. Yeah, so um, so I'd love to yeah I'd love to tell you a little bit about that. So um, when I came into the brand in 2014, one of our highest priorities for the brand was to establish relevance. Mm. It, we did not have an awareness problem, right? Mm-hmm. So let me just kind of talk you through that. So we have unbelievable brand awareness, and we mm-hmm. did back then, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right? You could draw the silhouette of a of a clog. 
and people knew it was Crocs. Mm -hmm. The challenge was we had a relevance problem, which is that more people than not, many, many more people um, than not said Crocs isn't for me. I know what Crocs is. Crocs Mm. is that ugly clog and that clog is not for me. Mm. So Barbara, you're right. Um, Back the, the, uh, the campaign you're talking about was launched back into the end of 2015, where we were actually um, creating advertising campaign, creating really beautiful assets around the silhouette of our clog. And what we were really very intentionally setting out to do was to tell people this is, this is the silhouette we stand for and we embrace it. And over the years we have made, we have really driven our, the majority of our brand investment dollars and our activities around driving that relevance to a point now where we have product collaborations online selling out in seconds Mm. and a number of minutes because, and we have lines outside stores of people queuing up so digitally and physically queuing up to get their hands on on a clog that that many years ago people deemed um irrelevant mm. uh and unattractive and 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 even ugly as you said at the beginning so, so how many different styles do you have or colors or like what what's yes. the length of your product line so we have probably about each season we take to market about a thousand skews so a skew an sku wow. is a mm. is a style color right? So we have probably less than 100 actual styles in the line. But what you will see is that you will see like, for example, on the the classic clog our icon, you will see us do offer many, many colors, we'll offer prints, graphics, right, some fun graphics, we'll have licensed business. So for example, we have the camo Realtree prints, we might have licensed ent- entities like Disney. Mm. And then we also do a more elevated um, offering as well with things like glitter or sequins. That you oh, well, so um, we really um, distort our investments um, in skews around that classic I silhouette. See. Interesting. Listeners, we're speaking with Michelle Poole, who's president of Crocs, the iconic brand. I think it's a beautiful clog. Some might say, you know, well, it's kind of interesting looking, but I'm fascinated by this notion of relevance. I want you to speak more on this, Michelle, because I want you to tell me what is the, what, how would you describe the brand? Because what's interesting about this is it seems to be two different things. It seems to at once be kind of for everyone in some ways. But also have this customizable piece, which seems to be very specific, you know, and personalized. So what tell us exactly what how do you guys define what your brand is, your brand ethos, your core values, uh, sort of, you know, from your perspective? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I love talking about this. So thanks for Ting. Thanks for asking me about this. So we have a couple of areas maybe I'll touch on. I think first is um, is brand values, which don't change year in, year out. We established a set of values. Um, several years ago that have really been our North Star. They have created our pathway. Um, And amongst those, we have one I mentioned already, delightfully democratic with Mm -hmm. a small d. I always have to say these days. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We celebrate celebrate being a brand for uh, all people, for Mm -hmm. all all kind of all kinds right so that that's really important because that's not a position that all brands take right Mm -hmm. you you Mm -hmm. do see brands um 
across the globe sort of deciding I really only want consumers who look like this, right? Mm -hmm. Or we mm -hmm. only want to show up in this way, right? right so right. We, right. So delightfully democratic, very intentional. Um we we um inherent simplicity is one of our brand values, right? So we want to be a very simple brand for consumers to understand, right? You don't have to think too hard. You don't have to kind of try and figure out how to wear our product, right? You just slip it <laughs> on and go, right? Simple yes. proposition. Yeah. Um, it's a simple idea, right? And yes. um, we're not complicated. We allow we allow for self-expression of our consumers, right? So we offer a very simple product and, and consumers can wear it how they want, right? So we have a set of values that we are, one of them is imaginative innovation. Mm -hmm. So it actually took a great deal of innovation to create our product and it's injection molded. Um, but um, the idea is that again, with our gibbets charms, consumers can imagine what they want this product to be, right? They can, they can take this blank canvas of self-expression mm -hmm. and they can make it theirs. That's a good segue for what is our brand platform, which is come as you are. Mm. So we established come as you are several years ago as an invitation for consumers to um, take our brand and express themselves. And actually what's interesting as the, as the world has evolved, even in the last 12 months, right? Self-expression um, and inclusivity has become the central topic for brands, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the great news is this is a platform we established several years ago. So increasingly what we've been able to do is really use that brand platform as come as you are mm. to really make sure that we are representing a broad base of consumers, that we are inviting a broad base of consumers into our brand. And that with the Gibbets Shams, we, we are giving the stage to our consumers to express ah, who they are. Interesting. So, so you have partnered with some celebrities and designers, and how, can you talk a little bit about those collabs and and why you chose to do them and what what the strategy was behind some of that? Yeah. So, Barbara, it's a, it's a really important strategy, and we believe it's been a, a critical part of our success over the last few years. So Crocs cannot claim um, to own collaborations. Cro collaborations aren't unique to Crocs. They are, a, I would say, uh, if done well, they're a proven lever for uh, brands to become more relevant, more exciting, more accepted. Um, so it was absolutely my intention coming into the brand to, to find a way to create some collaborations. The challenge was that no one wanted to take our calls. When I first joined, <laughs> Crocs was in a place where literally... If we could even get hold of someone, no one was calling us back. Mm. So um, we were lucky enough to partner with a couple of fashion brands who actually wanted to partner with us because of the, I would say, kind of low market position we had. So um, very early on, back in 2015, so very early in our brand turnaround, we did partnerships with Christopher Kane, a British fashion brand, mm. and Balenciaga, uh, a French luxury brand. And both of those brands saw something in our clog that appealed to them, that it was sort of a basic item. And they transformed it on their runways as part of their fashion collections. And people started to take a second look at Crocs. It was a sort of gentle second look. It was uh, maybe there's something happening. Mm. Um, but that actually triggered um, uh, an ability for us to start working with a whole host of partners because 
you know, Balenciaga sets a pretty high bar and people really started to reevaluate our brand. And so at that point, uh, from that point onwards, we started to really create a uh, nonstop pipeline of collaborations. And we looked at partners, we looked for partners who would say something new about our product. Uh, I always believe in the, um, in the funky math of one plus one equals three with collaborations. I believe that if you can bring two partners together um, and they're the right partners, um, you can really create something very exciting and exceptional in the marketplace. And that's what we've really um, striven to do. We've, we've strived to um, bring something new for the consumer. So whether it was Balenciaga, whether it was Kentucky Fried Chicken, whether Vera Bradley, whether it was Post Malone, mm-hmm. um, each of these collaborations has ultimately benefited the consumer by bringing some really exciting product um, to the market. You know, America started off in the beginning with this idea of word of mouth as one of the big marketing strategies. So I was wondering how important, I mean, with these collabs and things like that, I'm thinking social media is probably pretty important. Do you have a specific social media strategy or, you know, a specific word of mouth kind of strategy? Yes, we, we really do. Um, we made a pivot to digital, a digital focused strategy several years ago. Um, we understood very early on that if we wanted to reach the consumer, we needed to reach them um, on social, on social media. Um, that is where they hang out. That is where they spend their time. That is, that is where they, they uh, imbibe all of their influences. Um, that is how they, where they share uh, their views and their likes with their friends. So um, we made a very intentional uh, pivot to digital several years ago, Barbara, and we have invested in eyes and ears on the ground in all of our key markets around the globe to make sure that we show up where the consumer is, that we're listening. Some of these collaborations have actually come from social listening. Um, consumers have told us who they want us to collaborate with, and we have listened oh, and cool. served it back. So. Yeah, social media, I'm not sure that brands can drive relevance these days without being deeply, deeply connected mm-hmm. to social media. Media. That is fantastic, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us today. And where can our listeners go to keep up with you and everything going on at Crocs? Absolutely. So crocs.com is our, is our website. So um, the best of the brand is housed on crocs.com. You'll also um, find us on Facebook, on Instagram, TikTok is some very exciting content there. Um, oh, basically, yeah. any any LinkedIn. Um, if anyone listening is looking for a career at Crocs, we're hiring. So oh, nice. check out check out our careers page on Crocs.com. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. We're going to take a short break, and when we're back, we'll talk to the president and CEO of Curate Retail. Uh, this is Marketing Matters Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. We'll be right back. <laughs> 